Wonderful. Okay, so let's get started. So in today's hot seat, we have uh, Michael Fiorentino. He is a freelance journalist in London with NBC News and Reuters. And I've known Michael for a little while. We've been friends on LinkedIn. And I reached out to him in the new year to wish him a happy new year. And he got into contact with me wanting some insights into what's happening in Libya, not knowing that coronavirus would be the main story of 2020. So it's completely changed, changed gears. And uh, he's an interesting character to have on the podcast because he works in journalism for, the, for two very big uh, news outlets. And we're going to jump straight into it, Michael. Welcome, first of all, to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. So we want to jump in and really speak about you work on both the broadcast side of uh, the news and also the agency with NBC on the broadcast and Reuters on the agency side. Could you just tell our listeners and our viewers what the differences is, what the differences are between the two sides and how you work within that context? Sure. So, um, you know, we could start with that for NBC News. Uh, I'm part of the the international foreign desk, basically. So we are the lifeblood of um, NBC's news gathering arm, anything that's happening out, outside the Western Hemisphere, basically. Um, but, you know, it's not that many people. It's, you know, 30, 40 people max. Uh, most people are in London. And we have some pockets of, um, of producers and journalists in Beijing and in Tehran and in Cairo and Rome. But, you know, if something's happening off the grid, it's very difficult for NBC to gain any access to that. Um, so that's where the agency side of it's so, you know, invaluable um, from the Reuters perspective is, um, you know, Reuters has people everywhere, pretty much in every, you know, corner of the earth. And they're monitoring um, from the tech side, they're monitoring, um, you know, what, what's especially now with the, the coronavirus, what the health departments are putting out, what different government sources are putting out. And in turn, NBC uses that as an extension of their reporting. So in a lot of ways, you know, Reuters and the Associated Press and AFP, um, you know, they, they're pretty much the, the oil that is fueling global news. And without them, it'd be very difficult for the New York Times or the Washington Post or in my case, NBC News to really get, you know, concrete um, video, especially uh, any type of picture. And then also just, uh, you know, upholding, um, you know, you know, facts. So I think that's where the two sides really approach it differently is because from the NBC side, you know, especially, you know, we're saying, how is this, you know, how is this going to play out on the, the nightly news or the Today Show, you know, the flagship shows that, you know, millions of Americans watch every morning and every night. Whereas Reuters, it's, you know, we might have a you know, NHK in Japan might be interested in it, or, you know, a small French station might be interested, or a small Algerian station might be interested. So the, the, the umbrella of what we cover is, is much vaster than NBC, where it's NBC, it's, you know, it's a very fine tune. Um, you really have to break, you really have to break through the mold to get, to get airtime. And it was funny, you mentioned Libya, you know, I was pitching this, you know, this is going to be Trump's biggest um, foreign policy conundrum of 2020, and that went out the door pretty fast. Yeah, you're right um, there. You know, with all the different players, and um, you know that kind of just that kind of just went away. So I think I think you know NBC will call Reuters and be like, "Hey, do you have any video of this 
plane crash in the Philippines that just happened and Reuters can use, you know, their person in Manila to either go shoot it or find, a, you know, get across some local Philippine um, television But And now all of a sudden now NBC can use that material. So, yeah, um, yeah I think that's kind of where those two, those two, um, you know, cross paths. That's so interesting. So, but then I guess your thinking working on the two different sides needs to be different. I, I, I'd imagine, or is it the same kind of process you go through when you make your stories? In terms of with Reuters, do you source stories for other news for your colleagues in other uh, news outlets, or do you write native stories and post it on Reuters website? How does that work for you? Do you would, 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 say, would, uh, would Al Jazeera call you guys at Reuters and say we need some insights into this story and then you'd be in charge in collecting the details and then writing a brief for them and then that gets passed on to them or do you write it natively for the website for Reuters? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Um, so my role specifically in Reuters is I'm on the global video desk. So, um, you know, we have stringers and, and video journalists in pretty much every city on earth um, or I mean any, you know, at least every country on earth, like the major two or three cities. Um, and then they are constantly monitoring stories. So, you know, our producers in Baghdad are putting out, you know, in the fall, they were putting out, you know, maybe every two or three days, a um, story on the protests and on different things happening in Baghdad. Yeah. So a client like Al Jazeera would, you know, they would use that and then they could also call Reuters and be like, Hey, you know, we heard that there's this, um, you know, this, this, uh, funeral in Karbala that, you know, we can't get a camera to, like, could you possibly get across that? And then all of a sudden, you know, Reuters has got, you know, two wow. people there with a camera with it and we're off to the races and, and, you know, and then that would come through London and we would output the video into Reuters Connect, into Inter Avid, and all of a sudden now that's, you know, that's available to clients. Wow. So I think it's a little bit of both. Um, and then also there's, you know, there's Reuters.com and there's Reuters News that also publishes independent news as well. Um, so it's a little bit of both there. Um, but yeah, and nice. especially something like, you know, if, if, if NBC is interested in it, you know, there's a good chance that CBS or ABC is also going to be interested. Mm -hmm. So the same thing, you know, the second we hear one client's, you know, at Reuters, one client is, you know, keen on a story, we kind of understand that, you know, that's, that's needs to be in the editor. And would you guys bid up the price for a certain footage? How does it work with actually procuring the footage? Is it a case where there's a set fee or does, if it's a really popular story, is it sort of like an auction? Who gets the, who gets the exclusive on that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's more, I think it's more like clients can either pay per download or they can get like a, full subscription i think it's okay. it's like either like a print system or they pay for and they are you know they get everything so i don't think like i don't think reuters would ever be like okay we're doing this just for al jazeera i think yeah. if al jazeera was interested we would hang out and then now any client could have it um yeah. i'm not sure about that actually to be yeah. honest my, a little bit of my favorite but um don't worry about it, man. it's cool it's cool yeah it's cool because as you as you've seen and we've been in conversations for a little while now for the last five years or so, I've been lucky enough to be invited onto different news channels to speak about different world issues. But I'm on the broadcast side, so I'm not with in the pit with the journalists writing the news, but I'm sort of on TV giving analysis for it. But it's so interesting to see a news desk work 
because it seems as if for the you know the way that you categorize it, the broadcasts and the agency, it seems like the broadcast guys, you know, take a lot of information from the agency guys and use them as their sources for the stories they produce. So that ecosystem is really interesting to see from your point of view because people who watch the news on the outside may not know how the system works. So you gave some really good insights there, I think. Yeah, I mean, I can speak just for NBC, um, but we, yeah, we would, it, the, the agency, the agency lifeblood is invaluable um, yeah. just because they just extend the the news gathering arm exponentially throughout the globe. Mm -hmm. um, I will say though, at least at NBC, we don't blindly report without attribution. Like if we get something from Reuters, we'll say, you know, according to Reuters or, Reuters, that's fine. You know, yeah, we'll, we'll, and then the majority of things will stand up on our own. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, like there was a couple weeks ago, or I guess it was last Saturday, there was a plane crash in the Philippines. And we are, we are letting the agency know that we're interested in the video, what information they have. But we, but NBC, we're still calling, you know, the, the, Philipp the Department of Transportation, the Foreign Ministry. We're trying to get as much information that we can independently verify on our own. Yeah. But it's good to have that backbone of the agencies um, to, 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 to see if we're, you know, we're yeah. way off on something or especially gathering picture because like you said on the broadcast side, you could tell the best story in the world. If you have no video to come with it, it's, it's useless. Yeah. So I think that's where, you know, Reuters and AP and, and AFP are, are so vital in, in that. So are those the three major big boys in the world of agency news, AFP, uh, yeah. Associated Press and Reuters, are they the three ones that you go to? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, for, yes. Um, yes, exactly. I mean, each, you know, I mean, in, in the UK, you have the press association, yeah. uh, in the US, you have UPI, um, there's EFE in Spain, there's, uh, Ad, um, ANSA in Italy. There, you know, there's these, there's these, ones. these yeah, there's these that are, you know, Andalula in uh, Turkey, there's a ton of ag news agencies that are super helpful, but in terms of a global reach, um, and it, you know, people that have clients from, you know, every country and the major, it, yeah, I would say it would be Reuters, Associate Press, and then Agents uh, France Press, um, nice. you know, AF Paris. And you've been in the game of, of uh, journalism for a little while now. Is that, what, is that something that you wanted to do since you were younger or was it an interest that came out later on in life? Yeah, you know, I, um, uh, you know, I grew up, I grew up uh, like, you know, playing baseball and an athlete and I didn't, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do career wise. Um, and then I went to, I went to college and I got into, you know, film and documentaries and, um, you know, I've always, I've always, you know, been an avid reader and, you know, I've journaled. So I thought about, you know, how can I kind of combine those passions and, um, yeah, and then you know, next thing you know, you get an internship, and and you, you kind of smell the newsroom, and and you feel like that's you know that's really what really cool. got me going. Yeah. So um, yeah, and then once I moved to London a few years ago, I I really I really got uh, passionate about foreign news, and and um, you know, I mean, I thought you know Brexit was going to be the biggest story I'd cover here, or you know, Soleimani being you know you know you know, being killed or Baghdadi, yeah. like these little pockets yeah, yeah, of yeah. things, the biggest deal in the world. And, you know, the coronavirus has really put all that in perspective now. Right. And, um, you know, it's, it's the only thing on the agenda. I mean, it's really, I mean, you know, little things will peek in here and there, but, um, yeah. and, you know, actually, 
it makes me it makes me wonder if I want to be in journalism forever if it's just this. You know, <laughs> Don't this, give up too soon. Bad, you know. I see what you mean, but yeah, you're right. I mean, every all major world issues have been put on the back burner. Everyone's focusing their attentions on making sure this doesn't spread, and it's it's curious because. And I focus on the world of geopolitics mostly, how that affects business, finance, and, and, and the rest. And it seems as if in the hotspots you mentioned, i.e. in Iran, in Libya, in Hong Kong, in Paris, with ISIS even, uh, coronavirus has really stopped a lot of the fighting and stopped a lot of the, uh, the bloodshed there. For example, in Libya, you see the, uh, the government of, of national accords, led by Siraj, as, as you very well know, putting a curfew right. on their on, on, on their people from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And that's mm -hmm. the same for Haftar's forces too. So something that a UN treaty or, or EU treaty couldn't do for the life of it, a, a virus came along and shut things down forcefully. So I guess in that sense, it's stopping people from, from dying, but they need to make sure their healthcare systems are adapted to, to take care of the virus. But uh, that, for example, Hong Kong as well, fighting has curtailed a little bit. doesn't mean, obviously, that people's animosities towards the, the CCP have stopped. In fact, it's probably fueling it more because they're seeing that they're not doing enough perhaps to stop the spread into Hong Kong. We see right. a second wave potentially in China now as well. In Paris also, they've stopped protesting. They were in the 70th, 70 sec, 72nd week of protests last time yep. I checked. And even their protests have halted. Doesn't mean people's animosity towards the government have stopped, but it's stopped. It's frozen so many things around the world. It's so surreal. You, as 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 a news reporter, you typically would you need to go out to interview people, to go out and actually do the new new news gathering, or is the work you do? Could you do it from your desk, as the world is doing now? Has the workflow changed for you and your colleagues in the world of news, or is it you know business as usual? Oh, it's definitely not business as usual. Um, I can say that like not one, um, not one hour of programming has dropped off. You know, there's every shift has still been covered. Um, there's still a handful of roles at Reuters that have to be done in the, in the, in the office. Um, you know, as you know, like the intake editor, the people, you know, the, the master control room staff, there's still staff that's going into the office every day. Um, but a majority of the roles are now being done at home. And it's actually at NBC, the entire Farm Bureau is now working remote. Um, you know, editors and producers and even the news desk. You know, if I work a shift, like the news desk phone comes to my phone and, yeah. you know, we have a WhatsApp group. Um, but we're still, we're still monitoring global news. And if, if there's news breaking in, in uh, you know, a part of the world that we have, a freelancer in or a producer in we're still you know sending them out and we're yeah. still you know now there's abundance of precaution um you know there's there are very strict rules on filming near medical facilities or like when you're interviewing someone um you know not supposed to go into people's homes unless it's like you know express consent from the top um so yeah it's 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 you know even like our you know usually if if we'll do a remote in london for nbc and there's a correspondent a producer a sound engineer a um you know someone in the truck now it's correspondent with the cameraman and that's it yeah. um yeah. well I've got, I've, got, I've got colleagues of mine who, who are journalists and because of this of this lockdown they're using their, 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 their mobile phone and they've got an app on there where that connects to central to their central news station and they're in there on their streets 
out the door yeah, with like the tripod and their phone just recording news and you're going live off that way. So technology has allowed yeah. us to be as as uh, as uh, flexible as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely journalists that um, you know are yeah either either you know doing like we are right now on Skype and going on CNN or uh, yeah right outside their their balcony or um, you know there's different there's we're, we're yeah. still doing stand ups outside Buckingham Palace or outside yeah. the, the hospital where you know yeah. Boris Johnson is you know right. but the the staff has is it's it's much it's a much tighter group yeah. just because you know less people walking around are you know curious or interested you know if i'm out with the correspondent sometime in a you know in a nice spring or fall day you know dozens of people stand, stop by and want to you know chat with them or take a picture so the, the less the less kind of crowd and it's just important now because it is a, it is you know i'm not going to compare it to medical workers or you know anything like that but there is a sense of uh front lines to it where you know the show must go on right. especially from the contractor's perspective you know if um you know if, if you don't work they're just going to find somebody else to do it so yeah. it's in a way it is you know it is still mandatory it is yeah. uh kind of a forgotten um you know a, a forgotten group that's out there entertaining the masses still you know that's right can i ask something that i find very interesting in terms of the world of media how easy would it be? I mean, there, 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 there was a book on this topic. I can't remember. I, I had something Holiday. I can't remember his, his name. He goes, Trust Me, I'm Lying. The book was called Trust Me, I'm Lying. I don't know if you've... Uh, Ryan Holiday. There's a book that okay. he wrote called Trust Me, I'm Lying. And I think he worked in in journalism or something in, in, in the past. And he, he, he shows in this book how, how a potentially fake news story can rise from sort of a blog up the ranks of different news agencies and then end up on the front cover of a paper or, or as headline line news on the BBC or other major news channels. I mean, how do you right. think, how, how, how is the structure of news gathering set right now to be able to see the differences between perhaps fake news stories or less true news stories and sort of more authentic news? Is there sort of a filter that uh, the news machinery goes through to really authenticate sure. certain things? Or is it a case where because there's such tight deadlines that sometimes stories slip into the system unintentionally what does that look like to you and how do you guys fight against that yeah um i think that there definitely is a case of um you know things slip through the cracks um i think there's a level of human error in journalism that's not accounted for at all um but i'll say this it's it's extremely difficult um to like get a story from oh i heard this to on TV um, or to write a written article about it. Um, you know, the, you know, if I, if I, if I have a, you know, a pitch I want to do, I'm pitching it to my editor and mm -hmm. then they're getting back to me. Hey, I don't know about this, 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 or that. And then I'll stand up a few things on it and I'll be like, well, you know, I saw this here. I saw this here. I talked to this expert, this expert, this official, and then I'll write it. And then they'll, you know, with, with the, with the, the hardest critique possible, edit it, get it back to me, I'll rewrite it. And then if I get through that stage, there's a copy editor who's going through it again and flagging, Hey, I don't know where you, where you saw this. Mm -hmm. Hey, I only saw this in the New York times. We don't have this ourselves mm -hmm. or, you know, there's, there is a ton of oversight that come in okay. to the, to the news gathering where, where it does slip through, I think is that, the, where social media plays into now and we have 
you know, we have whole at every outlet has an entire social news gathering team, which all they do is, you know, go through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and source things and talk to people and, and make sure things are real looking at locators and um and and i'll just say from the people i work with at reuters and nbc they are they're incredible at that and they really i mean they they i keep saying the philippine um plane crash from last week i was working the shift and you know i saw on twitter there was a an aviation you know uh filipino ag um, aviation agency tweet but it only had like 400 followers and they were saying all this stuff so you know, we just, we just, we didn't go with it. And then it ended up being false. So like, we don't just blindly look at things and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, give correspondence say on there. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of eyes. There's a ton of um, oversight. There's a, mm-hmm. there's, and you know, I, obviously I just think there's so many outlets out there now and you, there's so many, you know, even if you just look on Apple news or Google news, you sometimes don't even know right. where it's coming from. Right. So I think there is a, I think you just got to know, you know, where your food came from kind of thing. You really mm-hmm. have to know what the, the ground source of it is. Mm-hmm. And I'll say from at least NBC's perspective, um, you, you know, we, we, we don't just take something said at a news conference and turn around, you know, we, we talk to, you know, I mean, the amount of epidemiologists that, you know, we've, 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 you know, done interviews for for nightly news or today's show not even using the full clips just to just to upload our editorial standards of it and make sure that we have you know the, the, the right person talking about it mm-hmm. um you know, that that is that is you know always always in the discussion mm-hmm. and it's it's something that's always um extremely important to the to the to the top editors um at both those outlets because mm-hmm. uh you know it takes one mistake it takes one it takes one slip up and then you lose credibility um, mm. that you, that, you know, for 40, 50 years, you're trying to mm. build this up. And mm. Even individually, you know, if you, you know, I could write, you know, five or six really hard hitting correct articles. And then, you know, I put one thing out that's, yeah. that's wrong. Yeah. You're, you're done. So yeah. I think, I think a lot of journalists have that same kind of um, attention to detail um, where it, they just, it's super important to know, you know, where the ingredients came from in the story that you're making. Mm. And in, in, in this day and age, when you're reporting on the coronavirus, there's obviously financial impacts that it has, and it has geopolitical impacts, and has all kinds of impacts. Something that I think is probably close to you and also to me is what will happen in the U.S. election come November time. We see a lot of, a lot of uh, voting right now needing to stop or be postponed. It's gonna have a big impact on what happens in November. People's campaigns, uh, the rallies and you know the face-to-face contact with people, that's out the window. They need to rely on internet-based uh, promotions. How do you think this is gonna affect the 2020 election campaign? It's a big question to ask, but are there any things that from a news gathering side of things that you think would be interesting to comment on? Sure. Well, first of all, I think, I mean, just as an American, I think it was ridiculous that they were voting yesterday in Wisconsin. And I mean, I, I just, um, I, to me, it's, I mean, you can't, it's really saying one thing and doing another, saying you, you know, you're social distancing, you're canceling, you know, everyone was, you know, you're canceling church services and schools, but you're still having every member of a town go to the same, you know, two or three buildings and vote, touching the same handles and screens. To me, I think that was ridiculous. I think, yeah. you know, I think you could have paused it. And it's not like there's 10 candidates right now. 
you know, Democrats pretty much know Joe Biden's going to be the nominee. Um, so you think Sanders has no, no has, uh, no chance? I mean, I, I just, I don't think that the math adds up for Sanders. Um, you know, I, I think, I think, uh, you know, it makes me, it makes me just sad for him as a human that he's, you know, he, he's getting so close to the finish line each time. And then, and then, you know, the, the establishment for me, their end is really, um, you know, I, I, I think, I think, I think politics in America, you know, everyone thought maybe the, the, the status quo was blown up with Trump in 2016, mm -hmm. but you know, if, 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 if a party wants, you know, a certain type of person to be the nominee, it's, it's going to happen. But even now, you know, I think, I think vice president Biden's really had a difficult time, you know, being heard because, you know, you know, for all the negative stuff, you know, Trump's been going through the next, last couple of weeks, some of it very much warranted. He's still in prime time on television every night, you know, and he's still in front of the camera. And, you know, meanwhile, Biden's doing these, you know, little video conferences and you just don't hear from him. And even to the point now where, you know, Americans are saying, oh, why isn't, you know, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo getting in the mix? Look how presidential he looks. And you're even hearing that now that maybe they should, you know, you know, and like the, the betting, the odds books have put, you know, Como in the mix now. And yeah. so I think that there's so much, you know, we're going to live, we're going to live five lifetimes before now in November. So <laughs> I, think really, I mean, if you were to ask me, um, if you were asking me on uh, February 1st, I would have told you there is a 95% chance Trump's going to win re-election. Like I just don't, I think it's just very difficult for sitting presidents to lose. It's just mm -hmm. hard. It's, they yeah. have the power of the presidency behind them. They have the, you know, it's just difficult, you know, even, even for someone as polarizing as Trump, it, I, you know, it's just, uh, you're from a position of, um, uh, you, you just have the upper hand. It's like, it's like being white in chess, you know, you just have the first move kind of thing. Uh, but now after, you know, the, you know, the, 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 you know, just from talking to people, you know, back in the States, the, the delay in testing and certain, certain things, I think, I think Trump's more vulnerable than he was, mm -hmm. but I just think, I think the Democrats, I think it's without having the, the full force of, um, you know, your, your candidate out there. And I think it's going to, I think it's really going to affect the, um, you know, the, uh, the, the candidacy mm. and I, one thing that they keep now saying is oh well, we have to go to you know mail-in ballots and i'm telling you there's no way the republicans are going to allow that because they're just not gonna it's gonna it, it, it it's gonna really in their mind they can't win in that in that climate if if the democrats are able to 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 get mail-in ballots people that you know wouldn't normally go out they can raise the vote right like that mm. i think it's be very tough for the republicans to win and i think trump yeah. knows that why you have you have a pushback on that already um, where that could be the most you know i mean you know in terms of safety reasons that could be the most viable possibility but i just think it's uh i you know i think it's 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 fascinating i think i think you know i mean trump's trump's favorability has actually risen in recent days so like there's so much up and down and and, you know, I, I think, you know, he's already, you know, he's blaming the WHO now. He's blaming, you know, obviously he's been calling it the China virus. I mean, I don't think there's, I think he's, I think Trump has a ton of, um, you know, moves up his sleeves in terms of virus, even though, you know, if you take a look at it from afar right now, it seems like he hasn't handled things correctly. Mm -hmm. um, but 
you know, I, I also think that's super complicated, you know, from the news perspective, you know, we were, we were in, in late January and early February, you know, we were still pushing and covering the virus as this foreign story. Um, and to the point that's where domestic story. Yeah, it wasn't a domestic story until, yeah. you know, I mean, literally, you know, I think when the cruise ship was outside San Francisco, that's yeah. when and they were debating about whether to take people off or leave people on. I think yeah. that's when it started tilt to to a U.S. story. And then I was working on a couple stories of Americans being stranded abroad, which, you know, all of a sudden that was a big deal. Um, so, you know, to just blame to, I mean, like I said, there's definitely blame to go around on, you know, in the White House, in, in, in you know, governor's offices. But to, to say like, oh, Americans were super in tune with this and they knew it was a problem and Trump ignored it. I don't think that's fair because yeah. I think it was a, you know, it was a Wuhan problem and then it was a China problem and then it was a Iran problem. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was an Italy problem. And then yeah. once that happened, people was like, okay, you know, but even then, even then, once it was an Italy problem, Spain wasn't paying attention. The yeah. UK wasn't paying attention. And now even in America, it's a New York problem where you have nine states yeah. that still don't have state home orders. And I don't know when society is going to realize this is a, you know, a, mm. a human problem. Yeah. So I think it's affected, you know, it's affected everything from, you know, how we're going to get milk and eggs in the morning to the 2020 U.S. election. I think it's, mm. this virus really has impacted every level of, uh, human life it's incredible they were, they were talking a few months ago that they wanted oprah to run for president too did you see that yeah i actually have a that's funny you said that i actually have uh my friend was in ireland back in 2017 right after trump won yeah. and he walked into a patty power and he put money on oprah to win the 2020 u.s election it was like 100 to 1 and he's like i'm telling you it's the one person that can bring america together um, but I don't know. Trump and Oprah are friends, so I don't know if I don't know if Oprah is going to run against Trump. That would be interesting. Uh, well, if, if 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 you believe that we have uh, we'll have Kanye West running in twenty twenty four. You know, nothing. That's one thing I think Trump did do is I think that it has opened up that now anybody can be yeah. president. Um, where you know, if you get enough viral momentum and if you get enough people believing in your cause, which that's really what Trump was. He was a cause. He was a, you know, it was a movement. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio or mm. an established Republican. This was something, mm. this was somebody that really threw out the playbook on politics and everyone thought he was crazy and everyone thought until, you know, he did, you know, he went into Wisconsin and Minnesota and, and uh, Pennsylvania and places that, you know, nobody thought he could do well in and he, and he did well because I don't mm. think, Middle America cared about the fares he had. You know, they weren't voting for the Pope. They they yeah, yeah. they wanted to put more money in their pockets. And I'm not saying Trump did that for everyone, but um, you know, he definitely represented a change. Hmm. Whereas now, it wouldn't shock me at all if uh, yeah, Oprah or Kanye or you know, I don't know, anyone could be yeah. president, except for a qualified. A woman. That's the one thing we'll never vote for. Yeah, I was going to say that, that you actually brought me on to the, the you said you went into my next point there. Do you think because if you see the way that Trump has been prepping his daughter Ivanka, she's been to almost every major summit. She's been by his side every step of the way. Her husband, Jared Kushner, has also been right by his side. Do you think he's preparing Ivanka to take over after he? after he steps down? Do you think he's trying to prepping her and training her and keeping her in the public light? Because something that the US hasn't got yet is a female 
president. So do you think this could be a chance for them to carry on the legacy? Um, well, I mean, first of all, I think it's, I think it's ridiculous that, you know, we, you know, if you look around the world, there's, you know, just fantastic um, leaders that are women all over the world. And, and the fact that it's taking this, this long for, uh, you know, the world's greatest democracy to, to have a woman in charge, I think it's ridiculous. But um, at the same time, you know, I think once you get a taste of the, the power, I think it's hard to, to go back to, you know, everyday life, even if your everyday life is the Trump organization. Mm. So yeah, I think that we are definitely headed to a dynasty of Trump, you know, elected officials. I don't think that's crazy at all from, mm -hmm. from Dom Jr. to Ivanka. Um, yeah, I could see, I could see them, I could see one of them trying to run for mayor of New York, maybe, or governor or even mm -hmm. senator. And then, you know, I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, mm -hmm. it wouldn't, no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, do I think Ivanka is going to be like the Republican candidate in 2024? I don't. Um, Why not? But do I think, do I think like that a Trump will be a, a besides, you know, President Trump in a position of elected power? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I absolutely believe that that's yeah. coming, even to the point where I thought in 2016 when Trump was, you know, in a lot of ways, it didn't seem like he was, you know, taking it serious at some times where the Hollywood videotape came out and, you know, he just, there were certain foreign policy questions he was ignoring. I almost thought that was his plan was to lose, blame the media, start Trump TV, and then just start, you know, having his hot takes go on there and, and, and watching his kids run for office forever. Like mm. I actually thought for a while that was his strategy until he won. And then, mm. and then that, you know, obviously, you know, it worked out for him. Mm. But uh, yeah, it it, me, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see a litany of uh, Trump candidacies yeah. uh, coming up in the, in, yeah. the, in the years. Because dynasties in American politics aren't unusual. We have many of them throughout oh. time. So yeah, this would Kennedy, just be Kennedy, a new one. The Clintons. Um, That's right. Yeah. The Kennedys Absolutely. also. The point now. That's right. Yeah, even now, you know, I mean, you see, uh, you know, the grandchildren of John F. Kennedy and Robert Kennedy. Yeah, they're still senators and 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 Congress, you know, men and women. And mm -hmm. um, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility. And you know, I just I, look. I mean, from the from the media perspective, I mean, Trump Trump has been, you, you know, it's 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 like having primetime television all the time. Yeah. Like there's. Yeah. You know, even, you know, the, 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 the suits in, in different news organizations will tell you that Trump's been good for business. So like, there's nobody yeah. denying that. Um, so I don't know what they would do without him. You know, if you yeah. would just have Johnny Republican and, and Johnny Democrat up against each other, I, I think yeah. the American people might lose some interest in that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Could I think you be able to I, explain, Michael, sorry to cut you off, but something that I find interesting yeah. is how, how, how does the news cycle work? Give me how, because we, we speak about 24 hour new, uh, news cycle, right? Could you just break down what that actually means factually and how that process works for those of you, for, for, for our listeners and our viewers who don't know? Sure. So, you know, it's tough in the, in the age of coronavirus because now it's, you know, it's, it's the only story in town. And at least from NBC's perspective, we're just a foreign part of that. So now coronavirus is only thing on MSNBC all day. The only thing on today's show, MSNBC, mm -hmm. uh, you know, nightly news 
the word if something's happening like you know the you know prime minister boris johnson well we can use that for example so yeah. you know sunday into the icu and immediately you know the london news desk is alerting you know the the, the mothership you know new york basically on this is happening and then you know we're off to the races you know, calling Downing Street, calling, um, you know, the hospital, trying to get any fresh information, any fresh video, anything that's, um, you know, relevant to the news story. And, you know, at that point, the clock is ticking because, mm-hmm. you know, if ABC... Are you in competition with other news, other news uh, channels who are trying to do the same thing as you? So you're trying to be the first one out there with the information? Sure. So, is I mean, the yeah, I mean, I, from NBC's perspective, it's easier because it's, you know, it's CBS, it's ABC, it's, it's, it's Fox News, and it's NBC. Those are like the big CNN, you know, obviously in that world, you don't want to be last and you want to be first. You also want to be correct. And you want to also come off as unbiased as possible. Um, so, you know, you want to just get as much fresh information. And yeah, so if, you know, if, if that happens and, and NBC is going on their nightly news broadcast and so is ABC and ABC has, you know, Prime Minister Boris Johnson admitted to ICU and we don't, then that looks terrible. So, um, yeah, so from that perspective, we're always in a race. And from the agency perspective, it's even more because for Reuters, you know, if, if you're beat by AP and AFP, like you're, you're, you're last, you know. So you, I think it's finding that fine line between um accuracy and you know speediness basically mm-hmm. and quality so those three you know you want to have you don't want to have shaky iphone camera from outside st thomas's hospital saying mm-hmm. that this is where the prime minister you want to find a nice live shot you want to get your you mm-hmm. know your course up you want to you want to have the the best freshest material and you know in the in the time before coronavirus you're right. If it wasn't, you know, if, you know, let's say, you know, there was like the, um, the, the London bridge attack, you know, recently, I think it was October where there was a stabbing on the bridge and, and you know, Met police shot the, shot the attacker down, mm-hmm. you know, it happened on a Friday afternoon. And by, you know, after the show's Monday morning, you know, it was, we were on other things. So if you missed in that, in that news cycle, mm-hmm. if you missed the most important bits, um, yeah, you're just getting beat. So I think it's, mm. it was super important to, uh, to, to, to get as much accurate, fresh information while people are still interested in it mm. as possible. Mm. That's, what, mm. that's what makes it difficult. So how do you guys choose what, is, what should be front and center for your audience's attention? What, what, what are the metrics? What are the things you guys decide as to what is important to put first, second, and third? How do you guys go yeah. through that process? Well, I guess like anything, um, you know, wh- whether you're a chief foreign correspondent or you're on the news desk, you're always pitching to somebody higher than you in news. So, you know, if, if it's, you know, we, we've recently had a, you know, we've, we've had a team in, for NBC, we've had a team in Rome, uh, you know, for a while now. And, you know, they're, they're out news gathering, they're talking to people in the streets, they're you know, and, and they'll, they'll pitch, they'll, they'll, they'll write an email and they'll say, Hey, you know, I just talked to, um, you know, this cop in Rome about what it's like to, you know, make sure people are staying home, you know, a couple sound bites. And then it just goes up the chain. It goes to the people 
at the network making the decision what's coming on air and they'll say, okay, yeah, you're launched on that. You know, you get two minutes in a nightly news where a few million people watch and there you go. And then, then we're off. And then we're, yeah. we're, we're, we have, you know, six or seven hours yeah. to put that package together. Um, but then a lot of times, you know, they'll come back and say, you know what, we have too many domestic stories. You know, why don't we wait on that? And then we're not doing anything. And then we're, yeah. we're, or, you know, pitching for the next show and the next show. So it's all about that. It's, it's, you know, it's really the people at the top of the, the food chain making decisions, but they're making the decision based on what, you know, the people in the field and what the different desks and what different news desk managers are pitching and uh, the different seniors and producers. So it's a ton of, you know, I mean, it, I, I joke, you know, journalism is like, it's like 95% emails, you know, and 5% phone calls. It's yeah. a lot of, it's a lot of information. It's a lot of emails. It's a lot of pitching. It's a lot of disappointment. It's a lot of, it's, you know, it's a lot, you know, like we were saying with, um, you know, it's a good example about, you know, the Libya story. It's, you know, in, in my mind, your mind, it was the most fascinating story ever. You had you know, different European countries on other opposite sides. You had Turkey pivoting it's Egypt, but, you know, to make that interesting for, you know, you know, you know, an American family having breakfast in the morning, yeah. it's difficult. So sometimes yeah. there's a lot of disappointment there. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the, you know, the, the longer you're in a news organization, the more say you have and what, you know, and the more, the, the, the more bylines and the more trusted you are, it's like anything, the more you're considered, um, you know, an expert on something and that you're going to deliver great material, the more you're heard from and the more you're kind of a nobody, the, the, the louder you have to be yeah. and the more persistent you have to, to pitch. So it's all about pitching and it's all about timing, I think would be the two big That's things. right. Timing is real. is key. I, I found that too. I found that too. Because even when I'm on, on TV, sometimes they call an hour before someone would go live to see if they could have someone on. But for someone who wants to learn more about how to hack the news, if someone has a story and wants to pitch it to, to, to someone like, like you or a colleague or who is an expert that wants to have some screen time and wants to learn more about how the beast works on the inside, I've spent countless years trying to, trying to hack it myself. And there are things you sure. can do which, which really help you be first in journalist's mind. But from your perspective, what do you think what do you, how do you work how do, how would your colleagues work with contributors and experts around the world and what would be some things that you would advise against and some things that you think work well that also you would like to see more of sure well i think uh, i think no matter what i think scoops scoops always are always win if if it's news if it's something that is newsworthy that nobody else has and it's not information yet publicly yeah. Yeah. and i mean i don't know a journalist that's not going to take your email or your phone call or your you know your twitter message or mm. you know any 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 type of getting in um contact i think if you have you know a news hook if there's something that you know is um yeah is is whether it's you know from a government or it's um you know an eyewitness perspective I think that's uh, vital and you know the news more and more is going to people people's experiences you know i mean the i think we're falling in love with these daily press conferences where you know it's just it's just you know verbatim 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 of policy talk and you know this is what we're going to do but 
once you really hear from someone living in a, you know, living in a, you know, a slum somewhere that's going through something or someone that's, you know, now, you know, grandfather is in ICU or, mm. you know, and their experience going through the healthcare system. Mm. So someone with actual life, tangible experience mm. is, is so much farther um, than, you know, uh, than just a press conference. Mm. So I think it, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, do you have new information? Um, are you, you know, you know, or, you know, for someone like your perspective, you know, if, if you have an expertise in somewhere, um, you know, what can we tie it to? What is it, you know, just because there's something happening in, you know, Libya, obviously it's news, but, you know, what can we tie it to that matters to people? Is it oil? Is it, mm-hmm. is it, it um, you know, the shuffling of... So, you know, so what factor? You have the so what, right? What's that? It's the so what factor. You may be exactly. top of your game, yeah. but what does that mean for the result of this variable? So what is the number one question, you know, the who, what, where, when, why, of course, is important. But the so what is so much more important than that. Mm-hmm. Because, like, there, this, you know, there's, you know, 8, million, 8 billion people on this planet. Everyone's doing something different. Everyone's moving. Why is this matter for the masses? You know, why is this news? And what can you tie it to? I mean, I was, I was recently in um, the Bahamas for a... Uh, for a story on, um, you know, they had this horrible hurricane, the worst natural disaster in the in the country in the country's history, hit in September, and um, you know there was this very vulnerable Haitian migrant population there, and um, you know I just I was taking video and and pitching the story up to to both outlets actually, mm-hmm. and um, you know it was. They cared, it mattered, but it was like, what are, what are we tying it to? You know, is it six months after the storm? Um, are they, is there, a, is there something that's happening within the community? You know, are they just living their lives and we're telling them about, you know, their lives? That's not as interesting. Like, what, what is it, what can we tie it to? Is, it, is there a milestone? Is there a, is there this, so, you know? That's what gets people interested in. At least, listen, I mean, at least from the, from my perspective, I'm in the same struggle of pitching up, you know, I, you know, it's the same struggle. Even if you're a journalist, you're still trying to get your story across. Mm. You're trying to get people. So, um, yeah, I think just having, you know, brief, concrete, um, newsy information really. Mm. And I think that's the most, I think that's the, the, the easiest way to get, your, you know, the information you have. Yeah, out. Yeah. yeah, know your audience too. You know, don't, don't, you know, you know, if you have a story on, you know, the environment or that's, you know, with some green piece or something, you know, don't pitch it to a commodities reporter at the Financial uh-huh. Times, you know, yeah. find somebody that, that concentrates on yeah, environmental. Yeah, somebody, yeah. you know, find a journalist where this is their, their niche and, yeah. you know, give them Ooh, I think that's what mm. I would say. Is and develop a relationship. I think relationships are key, no matter exactly, what yeah. issue. That's super important too. I mean, the amount of times I've used, you know, sources over again, you know, for, you know, whether it was, um, you know, there, whether it's a specialist on lungs or something that has a broad, you know, array of, you know, where I could write, you know, I wrote something on a while back on the, you know, the air pollution and, in, in, in London, and then I can, you know, double back and, and now use that person as a source for how, you know, COVID-19 affects the respiratory system. So, yeah. you know, just a relationship where I can just, 
send a message quick or stand something up, it's super important. And do you think um, in terms of developing relationships, is there, is there a right way and a wrong way to do it? Because I find that sometimes when I speak to, to journalists and people from different news stations, I ask them, how would you like to be contacted? Would email work, would telephone text work, would Twitter work? Because I find that if, if you want to say something, if you annoy, if you, if you consistently try to speak to someone, then you become a figure that they don't want to work with. You know, there's, it's obviously something, it's like, it's like dating. You need to flirt. You need to have that sense of they want to come to you. You want to go to them. It can't just be you slap them in the face with stories that they, and try to shove it down their throat. So are there any things that yeah. you, that you would like to see more? from contributors, do you find people contact you just to be on TV because they think uh, having their name in, uh, in the article looks sexy? Sure. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good example you gave, like the dating. Um, but I guess a lot like dating too, it's like the more shoots, the more shots you take, the, the more likely you're gonna hit a target. So, so I think, day, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it depends. I mean, personally, I mean, I don't, you could, you could find me in a supermarket and say, Hey, I got a scoop for you. And I don't, I would love it. I mean, yeah. you could annoy yeah. me on Twitter, LinkedIn. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely know colleagues that get annoyed by like, you know, constant barrage of texts or emails. I think you just got, I think it's a person to person situation. Yeah, that's right. um, but I, I would say if you let, if you let the person know the time sensitivity of it, you know, if you're like, Hey, I got this scoop today but it might not be a scoop tomorrow or hey i'm also talking to this person from the new york times or the washington post that might you know um that might hurry him up a bit to, to yeah. you know return your phone call but i think it's like anything i think it's like yeah the 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 the, the, the wider you cast your net the more likely you are you're going to catch a fish but uh yeah i think developing a developing you know what once i know as a journalist that you have, you're trustworthy, you're not lying, you don't have a specific agenda, and you have information and you have sourcing and then, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to you, you know, I mean, it's, makes like, sense. Yeah, it makes yeah sense. I, I think you're kind of full of it and you're just trying to, yeah, get your name in the paper and, you know, I'm less likely, I'm not gonna be rude, but I'm less, less likely to, um, to, uh, to take your lead on that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's building a rapport and I think it's just kind of knowing, knowing your audience. I think that's probably the most important. And what kind of stories are you working on now? What kinds of uh, themes and topics are you and maybe your colleagues that, that are working with you? What kind, I mean, are you focusing more on the health impacts of coronavirus? What's happening yeah. for parts of the world? Like what kinds of angles and what kinds of things are you approaching this virus with? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting you said that because I, uh, I think it's very difficult to find in this story what's, you know, what, what's, what's interesting from, like, I think the whole thing in general, a pandemic, I think it's the most important story of my lifetime, obviously, right now. Um, but personally, like, I don't, you know, I, I've been having trouble, you know, where do I fit in it? And I was asking, you know, uh, an expert a few days ago, you know, was this a, was this, was this virus an earthquake or was it a hurricane? You know, was this something that, came out of nowhere or is this something that we saw offshore and then we still got hit with it mm. and what they're saying it's kind of a little bit of both and I think what I'm trying to uncover now is you know what what where are we on that as humanity was this something that we should we should have been more prepared for or is this something that really blindsided us and um, and I think I think that's kind of translating to now even if you take 
you know, the two examples I'm using is if you take Europe and you look at, you know, you know, Northern Italy, where the virus has been just, you know, ravishing the community, terrible, terrible. Uh, but then you look at Southern Italy and Calabria and Sicily, where there hasn't been a lot of deaths, but mm -hmm. the, but the economy has been shut down and people are broke and people are out of work and they're upset, you know, they're really upset. Yeah. Um, or if you, look at the, if you look at the Balkans where, you know, only a handful of people have died, but their economies yeah. have lost billions of dollars. Yeah. You know? yeah. And there's been no, you know, in Bulgaria, they're, they, they were, they were fining people, you know, 10,000 leva for going to the park, which is, you know, more yeah. than a- Same in Albania as well. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they're, they're finding people left, right, and center. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's finding, you know, and even in America now, it's, oh, it's a New York City, it's a Seattle problem. And then people in rural Arkansas and South Carolina are, are saying, well, why, are, why, why do we have a stay-at-home order when, mm. you know, like we said early on, the virus doesn't discriminate mm. um, across mm. your class or gender or, mm. you know, anything really. I mean, mm. it's, um, so I, I think looking at that, looking at, you know, okay, this is, devastating obviously for the elderly population and the, and the, and the vulnerable populations in, in certain communities. But then also, you know, what about the, what about the Balkans or the, or Southern Italy or, you know, Scotland or different, different yeah. rural areas yeah. being yeah. affected. They're being just as affected That's financially. Right. That's right. Um, so I think finding that, finding interesting stories there and, and also, looking at the, um, you know, for me, I think what's fascinating is the, the, the world's most vulnerable populations, whether it be sub-Saharan Africa or parts of India or, you know, parts of Latin America or Indonesia, where the virus, quote, hasn't broken out yet. Mm -hmm. um, how much of that is just, you know, that testing has not been an option there. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's, it's how difficult is it for Americans or, people to, to get tested. I mean, it's, it's a hundred times more difficult for someone in, you know, in, in a slum outside Lagos or in Johannesburg or in Goa to get tested, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, it's, I, I you know, I, I don't, I don't think we've nearly seen the global impact. I think you're right. I think you're right. As, yeah. I just don't, you know, even in, I mean, even in China itself, you know, I'm not going to get super into it, but you know, obviously, the numbers in China don't reflect the the, the population density at all mm -hmm. compared to what is happening in Bergamo or in New York City. So I don't know if we really have a grasp. And I mean, it's very easy now. We're updating the the the, the you know the daily numbers. Oh, there's a hundred you know hundred more deaths here. There's 150 more cases here, and we really don't know. Like we really don't. That's mm. just for our brains to like yeah. cope with. Yeah. We really yeah. don't know the vastness of this disease That's right. and uh, you know people are dying from from illnesses all over the world where you and I don't you know don't see on a daily basis mm -hmm. and I think it's very difficult to, to get like a tangible handle on what this virus could really do for, mm -hmm. um, for billions of people. Yeah you're right there you're right there you're right there I believe you man that's so, that's so true and speaking of the Balkans too you're right there's many places around the world where it's not reflected at all we hear the main epicenter, we hear London, we hear New York, right? We hear Wuhan in China, maybe a little bit about Singapore, only because they haven't had such measures as the West has had. So it's only in comparison. 
to how different it is there. But you know, smaller parts of the world, we don't hear anything about Central Africa, for example, Sub-Saharan Africa. Nothing to do with that. Touching on South America, maybe Brazil, Libya, Chile, but nothing to do with Uruguay or Bolivia. Nothing there. What's happening in Venezuela with with all the madness with the politics there? How they're affecting? You know, mass. Yeah. I mean, nothing of this is talked about, which leads me to maybe the last thing before we go into the charity work that you do, and that is what parts of the world do you think are underrated in news? What parts of the world or what kinds of themes and topics do you think aren't spoken enough, aren't heard enough by the masses? I hate using that phrase, but that's the best thing I can think of right now. Whether it's sort of financial news, whether it's world affairs news, whether it's anything like this, what things do you think journalists could do a better job in highlighting for, for people who may be interested? Yeah, I mean, I could, I mean, we could, we could talk for hours about places that are underreported. Um, you know, I think, I think it depends on the outlet. You know, I think if you're like, um, you know, if, as a, you know, for Reuters, a news agency, they really do try to get their fingers in everywhere, whether it's mm. Latin America, whether it's, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, parts of India. Um, but I think that we as humanity really don't grasp how certain vulnerable communities and certain migrant communities actually live their lives and how their their outlooks how bleak their outlooks actually are whether it's the rohingya in um you know myanmar bangladesh border whether it's um you know still syrians fleeing idlib and 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 the situation in southern turkey um, whether it's um, the Sahel, where where jihadists have essentially had you know millions of people right below the Sahara living in mm. terror from Somalia to Burkina Faso, I mean just the the mm. living in terror, and then you have a you know a group of five six thousand French troops trying to fight in a in a in a in an area the size of the United States. I mean, and and the and the communities that have come from that. Or whether it's uh, you know whether it's Haiti or Venezuela or certain communities that just because of whether it's either political corruption or it's a lack of global interest or a lack mm. of um, you know World Bank or IMF info, whatever mm. it is where they don't have the same um, backstop as mm. the West does. Um, I think those places are still super underreported, and even mm. now in the virus. Right? Where you know I haven't seen nearly as many reports from you know you know from yeah from Sub-Saharan Africa. I think recently now they just really started testing outside Johannesburg and numbers, voila, started to spike a bit with the virus. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think uh, yeah I think I think that have been compromised because of decisions governments have made, and like you know like, you know whether it's in Syria or the Rohingya or you know people fleeing haiti or venezuela i think those kind of pockets where you know the, the average american or brit or you know french person you know or a japanese person really doesn't blink about it mm-hmm. and um a lot of that is financial in terms of you know news outlets you know 30 years ago they could afford to send a plane for one story and file it and that was just for print you know now it's you know are we going to pay four or five hundred dollars for this stringer to get this story and mm-hmm. eh, you know i don't know if they're interested for it so mm-hmm. i think that all plays i think it's a mm-hmm. you know 
media is a global economy and mm. it's, you know, it's not what, it, you know, and now everything, everybody's a journalist now, whether you have an iPhone or, you know, everyone's an eyewitness. So it's, it's easy to not really mm. um, put the same resources into a story that, you know, maybe, maybe your whole audience won't be interested in. And I think is that because mm -hmm. people in the news think someone else will cover it? It's a kind of, it's a, it's a dispersal of, of, of responsibility in the sense that, oh, we may not be doing it, but our, our colleagues in uh, ABC news agency uh, may be doing it, so we'll leave it for them to do because for us it's not too much of a focus. I think it's, I don't think they think that. I don't think they think other people are going to do it. I think it's, I think it's, all, will, is this going to translate to our audience caring yeah. about it? Are they going to um, like they Are they going to, yeah. Not that they would like, I don't think that, you know, not that they would push away a story because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't newsworthy, but in terms of, you know, let's just say from the broadcast perspective, you know, the nightly news, it's 22 minutes of airtime and mm. there's 10 segments, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, if it's something that's not news of the day impactful, yeah. you yeah. might be third block, last segment, you yeah. know, and there's you know, a dozen other producers, you know, jockeying for that spot. And it's, you know, it's really a survival of the fittest in a lot of ways. And mm. I, uh, so, yeah, so, so, so what would be your hot takes? So let's say three parts of the world or three stories that you would like the audience to know more about. You mentioned Haiti, you went to Haiti a few yeah. weeks ago, perhaps. So maybe give us three parts of the world or three stories that you think people would love to know more about. That you were okay. Uh, I think, well, like you said, it's probably close to your heart, too. Uh, I think the Balkans are incredibly fascinating, mm -hmm. and I think we're still seeing, you know, a fallout from, you know, the, the fall of Yugoslavia and, and, and what was happening in the, you know, in the late 90s, and, you know, you know, Russia, you know, jockeying for influence, and but also the EU jockeying for influence, mm -hmm. and you have the, the border with Turkey, and, and China jockeying for influence as well. Oh yeah, and China just just basically bankrolling most of the infrastructure in the Balkans, and um, yeah, to me, and and it's a place where you know it's like the Wild West there. There's all there's not a lot of rules. There's not a lot of oversight, um, and people that get in power stay in power. Whether it's uh, Montenegro or Albania or you know even you know Vucic in Serbia, like people, it's hard to. It's, you know, or even in Bosnia where they have, you know, three different heads of government with three mm. different, with three different ideals. To me, it's fascinating. And I don't think anybody, you know, has any idea what's happening there. And I mm. think it's from a, just from a, you know, I'd love to take a, just a class on Balkan history. I think mm. it's fascinating. The Balkans for sure. It's right next to the EU. It's, it's sort of, it's, it's in Europe, but it's not European. It's many different dimensions there that I wish, I really wish people would really speak more about. And I guess it's up to the journalists and up to the people who care about it to really make it known to the world. I think, I think in Latin America, yeah, I think Haiti by far has a special place in my heart. And it has a, uh, you know, the amount of people that have fled there, um, whether it's for the Bahamas or for the United States from Florida or the Dominican Republic across the border. Mm -hmm. I mean, people... I mean, the, 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 the children that, you know, don't have clothes for school or, you know, don't have hot meals. And to, to me, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's easily the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And it's, 
Haiti, for sure, after after all the natural disasters there, I haven't heard about Haiti since Waka John wanted to be the leader there, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that was well, the I mean, in Haiti, there's still fallout from the, you know, the earthquake in 2010 that killed yeah. over 200,000 people. Yeah. Um, you know, Port-au-Prince is still rubble, yeah. and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of refugees have left, and it's 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 super sad. And I mean, I mean that's just and that's just one example in the Western Hemisphere where, I mean, you look at Africa. There's, you know, dozens of countries that, you know, their their way of life is just is is super compromised yeah. still, and. Um, a lot of that is is not is a lack of distribution of wealth. A lot of it is, um, you know, poor leadership. A lot of it is, you know, lack of medical oversight. And that's what I think makes these places so vulnerable um, with the virus. Is because yeah. I mean, even like you look at Yemen, which is I guess that would be my last thing I would say, yeah. in in Yemen where the proxy war between, you know, the Houthis and Saudi Arabia and and Iran basically. I mean, there's there's no hospitals in Yemen. You know, they're gone. They're destroyed. And if the virus were to run through Yemen, I mean, who knows what could happen? And um, you know, that's a country where, you know, it used to be one of the 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 the, the mild, you know, the the pillars of the Middle East, and it's right. been it's devastated over the last. Be decimated. You're right. Yeah. Be decimated. So, yeah, I would say I would say I would say Yemen, the Balkans, you know, anywhere in Africa, yeah. you know, people. Fl- People still fleeing Haiti, and also I think the Rohingya Muslims that have fled Myanmar, and we just yeah. saw the, um, you know, the the International Criminal Court bring um, the, the 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 Myanmar leader in front about their treatment yeah. and how there are hundreds of thousands of them in Cox Bazar, Bangladesh, living yeah. in the worst conditions possible, yeah. and um, yeah, it's just something you don't read about, and it's something. You know, you'd have to really fight to get it on a, on you know, on a on a news broadcast, just because there's. Oh, you know, yeah. You're right there. You're right there. You're right there. So yeah. you you're not only a journalist. You wear a different hat as well. We we kind of touched on it. Your work with uh, the charity work that you do with your father. Yeah. For those who want to know more about it, because charity work, I think, especially during these times, is more important than ever. Whether it's donating your time, donating money, donating resources. What work do you do specifically with your father? Sure. So my uh, my dad grew up. Well, I grew up, um, and we were uh, you know part time missionaries. Uh, my dad worked in churches, um, and we built um, you know a, a, a few orphanages in Mexico and throughout Latin America, and um, and then a, you know a, a large chunk of time went by where my dad was you know he's also a, a, constru- a contractor and a builder. And a lot of time went by where he, he didn't do a lot of outreach. And then uh, in 2017, Hurricane Maria crashed through Puerto Rico. And I, you know, I talked to my dad, you know, let's, let's get back involved. You know, let's, 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 let's kind of dust the cleats off and get back in the game. And um, sure enough, we found this, you know, this rural community called Vega Baja, Puerto Rico. And we just started going down and bringing supplies and building roofs and, Next thing you know, my dad took about, you know, I think it was 12 or 13 trips and within a year, year and a half. And, you know, we essentially rebuilt the whole community. Um, And, you know, then it was on to the next thing. And it was, um, you know, Hurricane Dorian slamming into the Abaco Islands and Bahamas. And Mm -hmm. we found this small community on Green Turtle Key. And again, we just started 
we went there without much of a plan and we were, we were able to build some roofs and get a, get a few families back in their homes. And, nice. um, and also, yeah, we, we do a, you know, a, a, an annual or a biannual trip to Haiti to a small community mm -hmm. and um, just ministering to, uh, to, to, to families that, you know, don't have money for school or don't have food and just, just trying to just trying to help one person because if you help one person, maybe that person will help another person and yeah. and the world will be a better place. So yeah, so yeah. the the, the organization, organization's called Cypress Missions, and um, now we're trying to figure out how we kind of fit in the coronavirus um, helping you know the yeah. the, the aid and uh, me and my father he's still in New Jersey USA and they're actually. Um, building, helping build a, a few field hospitals now that are getting, that's, that's, that's in motion now. Okay. Um, and also we just do some, uh, you know, some, 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 you know, phone calls with elderly people in, in retirement homes. I don't have anyone to talk to and just, mm, just be, yeah. you know, the, the amount of, the amount of good you can do in this world from your living room or also, you know, in the trenches. 100%. 100%. You know what? It's, something that's, it's something that's really addictive. You know, you help, you help one person and, and you get a taste of that and you really want to go back and, and help someone else. And I think mm. if the world had, had that perspective, I think it would be, it would be much better for you. Wow. So it's there a website that people can visit to see Cypress Mission? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just it's it? cypressmission.com. Um, okay. And, you know, on Facebook, Cypress Missions, my, my dad's name is uh, Freddie Fiorentino. And uh, yeah, it's a great organization that, that, you know, you know, everything that's donated goes to, to helping people and, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a mixed bag of stuff and it's, mm -hmm. it's, something, it's um, so are you guys so, looking for donations now or are you guys looking for some volunteers? What kinds of things for people? Yeah, help? yeah. I mean, we're always looking, you know, all the, all the nations now we're, we're, we're going to go to, uh, you know, coronavirus aid in some capacity. We're still figuring out exactly because it's like anything else to, you know, you really want to give to the right people. So mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're trying to see the, the, the biggest need at the time. Um, but yeah, we're always looking for, for, um, for donations or for, for volunteers, whether it's, um, you know, helping in a food pantry or, or, you know, making some phone calls or nice. we're, we're, there's definitely ways to get involved. So yeah, you could just flag someone on the website or Facebook and somebody would get in touch with you and, uh, and Beautiful. you can get involved. Beautiful. Great, man. Great. So I think it's about time to wrap this up. Is there anything that you has gone unsaid? Either say it now or forever hold your peace type of thing. Do you think there's anything we missed? Any any holes you want to plug? Any people you you want to plug? Any shout outs you want to give? How do people contact well, you? I just, I just want to say uh, I just want to say that uh, you know a lot of times journalists get you know whether whether it's accused of a certain agenda or you know you, you read some terrible things about how certain outlets you know welcomed a virus to to criticize people and i just want to say that that is you know very far from the truth and journalists remain some of the people on the front lines and some people that are you know considered um you know working in vulnerable conditions and uh we're in this with you we have family members that could get sick we have we have uh, we're you know we're still wearing masks and gloves to the grocery store. So, you know, you know, give journalists a break some time. We're really trying our hardest and uh, we're really trying to get the most accurate, current and interesting information possible nice. for you. And um, yeah, just as a, as a whole, we're, uh, we're still working hard and uh, we just, 
you know, I just want everyone to stay safe out there, wash your hands, and uh, try not to touch your face. Very good. Exactly. And how do people contact you? If they have a story, what platforms are you most active on? If they want to, if they want to reach out to Michael Fiorentino. Yeah, I'm on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on. I'm on LinkedIn, Michael Fiorentino, or my Twitter, uh, M Fior News. Uh, or you can just Google me and find me. And you know, I, I my email address is on there. Send me a message, and uh, nice. yeah, I'd love to connect. Great, Michael Fiorentino. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot, Chris. Take it easy. Thank you so much.